Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hey guys, on today's pod, I had on Brian Oringer. Brian was the head video coordinator for the Washington Wizards for four years and then also was a regional advanced scout for both the Atlanta Hawks and the Toronto Raptors as recently as last year. Brian came on to talk a little more X's and O's and to give us a more coaching-oriented perspective. I learned a lot from a conversation with Brian. I think he's really a great basketball mind and someone who understands the minute details of play calling and everything like that better than a lot of people. You can follow him on Twitter at Scout with Brian, B R Y A N, at Scout with Brian, Brian spelled with a Y. McGrady looking, looking, looking. Loops it in. Carter's going to get a shot off. He does. Got it! Ross and Amir. Here's Jose. Three seconds. Gets it to DeRozan. DeRozan's fading. What a tough shot. And it goes! DeRozan with plenty of time. It's five seconds. DeRozan on the drive. It's hit from the corner. Van Vliet. Van Good. A two. The Raptors lead with 1.1 to play. Hey, Brian. How's it going? I'm good. How are you? I am good. Uh, enjoying a nice couple of days off for the Toronto Raptors. Uh, decided to have bring you on, talk about kind of the X's and O's of the Raptors in a couple different coaching areas and things like that. I'm talking with Brian Oringer, former head video scout of the Washington Wizards and a regional advanced scout for both the Hawks and the Raptors. Brian, do you want to just kind of give a quick intro of what you did in the NBA and kind of where you worked? Yeah, sure. So, uh, you know, I was with the Wizards for six years total. Um, I spent four years full-time as their head video coordinator, you know, traveling with the team. And I tell people it's almost like you're just an assistant to the coaches. You're assisting in all all the game prep, uh, scouting, player development, uh, all the coaches' meetings, all that good stuff. And then, like you said, last year was lucky enough to do the advanced scouting for a couple teams, just covering, you know, games on the East Coast and – Brooklyn, uh, Madison Square Garden, Boston, D.C., Philly for, for the, those two teams, just basically being a spy, uh, like in the Sherwood uh, Strauss piece, stealing stealing the play calls of uh, the upcoming opponents for the Raptors and Hawks. So we brought you on here to talk about the Raptors and a, a couple things that you witnessed over the past two games you watched, most recently the Indiana Pacers and the Milwaukee Bucks games. During those games, Kawhi Leonard was out for the Pacers game and Lowry was out for the Milwaukee Bucks game. It's hard to find a game over the past, you know, past month where Kawhi and Kyle have been healthy. First of all, I guess from the two games, what stands out for Toronto just as you watching as a scout? Yeah, I mean, I, I think, uh, like you said, you know, it's hard to judge them not being completely at full strength and not really with their best lineup out there. But I think you see that they, they definitely have a lot of depth, which is a, a good credit to the team. You know, I think uh, the Indiana game where they had, what was it, eight guys, I think, in double figures, you know, was a good testament to that. Um, you know, I, I think 
Ben Fleet's very capable, and, and he's been a nice scoring punch at times. And uh, I think OG started to play a little bit better and knock some shots down. And, you know, Powell's had 23, uh, I think, against Indy. You know, and I, I just see kind of a, a well-balanced team that I think right now is top 10 in offense and defense, which is usually, you know, a big key for title-contending type teams to, to be elite at both. And I, I think Nick Nurse has them definitely playing hard on both ends. Um, you know, a little undermanned, like I said, at, at this time. But I, I think they do have a lot of length defensively. I think they play to their strengths. And, uh, you know, I would expect them to be right there as, as the season gets going if they stay healthy. You mentioned Fred VanVleet. One thing I'd like to talk to you as someone who watches the XSOs a little bit more closely than most is there's been a lot of talk about Fred VanVleet as the primary initiator of the offense and kind of playing a role that he's not suited for in that regard. Do you think that he should be playing more off-ball, or do you kind of agree with Nurse's stand so far that he should be the initiator of the offense? Yeah, I, I was curious about that, actually. I guess I, I'd flip it back on you a little bit if I can, since you're the one you know covering these guys. Uh, what has his logic been, or has he said anything about why he chooses to have, uh, you know, Fred initiate a lot of it, or what's the, what's the debate kind of been? No, I I think the debate has kind of been between the people covering the team would like to see a little more Pascal and Kawhi uh, running running the offense through them and seeing them initiate different things more. I guess from my point of view. Neither of those guys are the passer that Fred is, and I think Pascal's a good passer, but I think a lot of times we confuse a good passer for their position with an actual just good passer. Kawhi has taken steps there this season, but I still think he's very limited in that regard. And when you try to run the offense through those guys, the ball sticks just a little bit more, and I don't think it's quite as free-flowing as when you do it with Fred. Got it. Yeah, no, I was... uh... You know, even even the game with Lowry, I, I was seeing Fred bring the ball up a ton. Lowry kind of play off the ball, come off screens more. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I think there's definitely logic to both sides. I think Van Fleet does a good job, obviously, playing out of pick and rolls and can get his own shot and you know hit the hit the pop pass and get a Baca and uh, those guys some looks out of that. But I, I do think I did see a little bit where I, I think uh, Nurse could run a few more few more plays for Kawhi, you know, even if it's just post-up plays. One of his main actions with San Antonio was always kind of coming off a flex cut into a post-up. I I think they maybe need to find a way to to get him the ball down there a little more. It seems like he's, you know, he's handling in some high pick and rolls, which tends to get him his mid-range pull-up, which he's phenomenal at, obviously, but I think he's he's got a really good post-game as well that they should uh, try to explore a little more and as far as Siakam, I mean, I agree. I think he's great, you know, handling the ball in transition and against teams that, that don't do a good job building a wall. But, you know, the games I was watching, at least, it looks like the teams were really, really in tune. You know, anytime he had the ball in transition about getting back, just building that wall, making him see bodies. And, you know, when you do that and when he can't really hit a shot and guys are playing so far off him, I think it kind of limits things a little bit. So, for sure, I think part of his development, though, will be, you know, being able to make a jumper, first of all, besides in the corners, and then second, uh, being able to handle a little bit tighter so you could run, you know, some of the stuff like that uh, Milwaukee runs for Giannis with, with him handling and maybe a small, like like Fred, setting 
pick and roll for him. I think that could be a good play for, for Siakam with, uh, once he gets a little more comfortable with the ball. Sure, yeah, they, they've they run quite a bit of uh, Siakam-Lowry pick and rolls so far this season. Lowry's a pretty good screener. But, but to your point about the jumper, yeah, you're right. Um, I mean, Siakam was just such a poor shooter last year that you'll take any growth that you see from him. He shot 22% last year from three. He's up to 34%, but as you mentioned, those shots are all in the corner. They're all wide open, and even just as impactful as that is, if we're talking pick and roll, is his inability to kind of hit a mid-range pull-up jumper because he really doesn't have any sort of jumper off the bounce. Yeah, no, I, I actually just posted a few tweets, and I think I put his shot charts in there. It's pretty astounding. I, mean, I think mid-range, you know, from, from the top, He's only got like a couple of shots even around that uh, elbow area. Looks like left mid-range. He's like one shot right mid-range. He's got two shots. Um, you know, so I think he's starting to see defenses really, really sag off him, um, you know, and kind of sit on that that spin move. And I, I think he's got to, you know, keep, keep building out his game and keep uh, making adjustments. Because obviously one thing NBA teams are really, really good at is, is taking away what you really want to do, you know? So I think that the game plan with him now, I think teams are really well programmed to, to get back, build a wall, make him see a lot of length, you know, what spin move, all those things. And now it's going to be on him to, to add a few different counters and a few different uh, tools to his, to his options. You know, he's already started with a couple of counters. He's been really good as of late getting that running start. If the team sags off him too much. So basically as, whoever draws the detention of the defense. Siakam will almost get a running start to catch the ball on the move, attack the hoop that way, and he's good enough interior passer that if you're bringing so much defensive attention, he's usually able to hit the next kind of subsequent pass. Sure. Yeah, and I saw a lot of, too, I, I saw, you know, Nurse's scheme, it seems like there's a lot of pretty simple stuff, and, and there's a lot of parallels, uh, in my mind at least, to like what Milwaukee is doing in terms of playing uh, five out, you know, I saw a lot of lineups with, you know, obviously Siakam and, and sometimes Ibaka in there, and, and they sometimes just kind of play basketball, play drive and pick, whether it be Fred or Kawhi or Kyle or whoever, just, you know, try to penetrate or, or take their man one-on-one, and then, you know, like you said, as soon as uh, OG catches or Wright catches or Siakam, whoever it is, they, they try to get a lot of those catch-and-goes, you know, attack gaps, try to get the ball you know, in the paint, and then once the defense helps, you start swinging the ball around and creating those threes. So I definitely like the uh, the identity and and the way they're trying to play. Um, you know, I think there's just for sure a couple wrinkles and, and things they could be doing maybe to get uh, Kawhi a little bit more involved and maybe move uh, Fred off the ball a little bit more. What do you think has been the biggest difference from Nurse to Casey as far as an X and O standpoint? Uh, I think, you know, I think they're very similar. I think Nurse maybe is just uh, a little more willing to, to think outside the box and, and try things that are a little bit different. You know, I see him throwing out a few more kind of funky zones and, and things after timeout that are that are a little uh, experimental. You know, I think that comes kind of from his background. He's, he's always been a coach that, that tries things a little outside the box. Um, and then I think the biggest thing, you know, will probably be 
really not something we'll even see mostly till playoff time. I, I think he makes good adjustments in the game, and you know he's he's going to switch things up. But I think he's he's going to be a really good adjustment coach, and maybe the one knock on Coach Casey, you know, at least during the playoffs, was was not really adjusting to to LeBron and things that were really really hurting them. And I think uh, Nick Nurse is not going to be afraid to you know to make adjustments quicker and, and make changes when when things aren't working. That's fair. I I would agree that most people think the biggest kind of fault of Casey was lack of in-game adjustments, particularly when the postseason came. And obviously that's why he's coaching somewhere else now. And I thought Casey was a very good coach, but you are hoping that the differences Nick Nurse makes are in the playoffs more than the regular season because you've already seen regular season success. Uh, You mentioned the zone. That's been kind of a big storyline in Toronto. They've run more zone than any team I've seen as of late. What, How viable do you think that is during the playoffs? Do you think that that gets scouted to the point where you can't really run that consistently, or do you think that's something that, you know, it junks up a few possessions a game, throws teams off their rhythm? What do you think? Yeah, I think like you said, I think that's what it's best for. And at least to me, you know, like I said, I've only watched a couple recently. You guys have been watching more over the season, but it, it kind of seemed like just a tool to have that, you know, he would throw out after a timeout when a coach would usually, you know, draw up a play against the man offense. I think it really throws you off when you come out in the zone. You know, correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I feel like sometimes I've seen Toronto play this season against, like, out-of-bounds plays, too, like like Brad Stevens has done sometimes against, you know, baseline or even sideline out-of-bounds some, um, just to kind of switch teams off the rhythm a bit. But I think it's definitely, you know, NBA teams have – very little zone offense, and it's it's been uh, so uncommon to play zone defenses that, you know, we didn't even really have any zone plays in D.C. We kind of just, on the rare, rare occasions where we'd see a zone, we'd just say play or run our regular plays and see what happens. You know, I, I think this year there's been kind of a resurgence of zone defenses. You know, Miami, a few other teams playing a lot of it. Um, that I, I think now it's definitely got to be on teams' radar more that they at least probably have a couple couple plays they've worked on. So, you know, I think in the playoffs you'll see teams maybe have enough to work and be more ready for their zone offense. But it's definitely a good good option to have against, you know, a Giannis if you want to throw him a, a junk-type zone every once in a while. If you want to fight against Philly without their shooting, you know, if you want to uh, – whoever you got in the playoffs, I, I think there's different – you've seen some boxing ones even played in the league this year, which has been wild. Uh, I, I like that he's inventive with that stuff and has not been afraid to try something a little out of the box. The way it kind of reminds me of the Wildcat in the NFL where you knew that it probably wouldn't last and that there is some definite flaws in the strategy of it, but it's different enough and it's enough of a switch up from your regular, you know, what you see normally, that you have to make some type of change and it can have a real impact on the game. Even if it's not a lasting impact, it can have an immediate impact. Yeah, sure. I mean, I, you know, I, I, I personally, to be honest with you, I've always, I hate zone defense. I, I hate that Syracuse. But I mean, I think a lot of those guys get to the NBA and just have no idea how to defend because of it. But you know, like you said, there's always it's kind of like the money ball mentality that some, you know, if something's really overlooked and people hate on it so much, then it could even become a inefficiency to an extent you know so if everybody else is playing man and 
every team only works on man plays, then maybe it does make sense to to throw out some zone a little bit and, uh, you know, at least from the pure confusion factor, something good happens. So I definitely like to, uh, I don't expect this to become mainstream or any team to play, you know, primarily zone, but I, I think we are seeing that obviously teams kind of uh, stopped working on it offensively, and, and I think that's why you're seeing a little resurgence in the zone defense uh, being effective in small doses around the NBA. Is there anything else that Toronto does that kind of sticks out from an X's and O standpoint where you're like, I don't see other teams doing this? Uh, no, to be honest, I, I think it's such a copycat league. I mean, I, I think Nurse definitely has, he has some really innovative you know, after timeout plays, I, I think he kind of is uh, an inventor in that style too. And you know, they run some things that are that are unique on that end. But I, I think what he does a good job of is kind of just taking his principles, taking the stuff that Casey's run over time and that he believes in, but also you know, watching the rest of the league and adding to it. I to give you one, one example. I mean, I, I saw. Uh, I'm not sure. You know, we'll have to ask Cooper for one of those guys what they call it, but. I saw kind of a weave dribble handoff play that ended up uh, being sort of a misdirection into a pin down. And I, it's very similar to uh, a play that Boston runs. And, you know, I think they, Boston calls it like four step two or something. And I, I saw a play that looked almost identical, you know, to that. And I, I wonder if nurse, you know, took that directly from Stevens, but uh, no, I, I think they're pretty, pretty standard. I, I think, you know, he just has them playing hard, playing in a really good stance defensively, uh, using their length so well. I think he's really noticed and focused on how many uh, long athletic defenders he has, and I think he's put them in, in good spots to get a lot of deflections and be successful on that end. That would be you know, the one thing I've noticed most defensively is that Toronto has been just you know, switching a lot more this season than they have in previous years. Partially, that's due to a scheme change when you have Ibaka playing the center. There's just a little more freedom to switch back and forth between players. Do you think that that kind of bodes well for them a little bit more during the postseason? Because last season, Toronto played a pretty traditional pick-and-roll defense. Obviously, they got carved up when they played Cleveland. Do you think this more kind of modern switching defense bolts well more in the postseason, or is that something that's more narrative than substance? Yeah, I think there's definitely, you know, some logic to it. I, I think last year, you know, uh, Houston, I think, played the best defense we've ever seen against Golden State with, with their switching scheme, switching everything. Um, you know, and so I think it's a great asset for Toronto, especially, you know, I, I think mostly you just have to, do what's best for your personnel. Um, it might have not made as much sense to to switch, especially when you have Valanciunas out there and, and playing a more traditional scheme. Probably made sense for that. But when you have a lot of you know athletic guys like Siakam, Kawhi, OG, Wright, uh, you know Lowry, even Powell, any of those guys that are long wing defenders, you know have a good low base and are able to switch. I, I think you definitely um, have to take advantage of that. And then. You know, I think you kind of just have to, to see what's hurting you in the playoffs. And, you know, as you look around the East right now, there's, you know, the one guy maybe you don't want to switch against is like an Embiid. Um, Got to just make sure. Obviously, you don't, you know, put smalls on him really. And 
Simmons and Giannis to some extent too, and a couple of the other post up type guys. But, but yeah, I, I think with everybody playing mostly, you know, driving pick, pick and roll, perimeter basketball, um, I think there's a lot of logic to trying to switch a lot of those actions for sure. Just in a larger scheme, kind of basketball sense, what do you think is the counter to the switching defense that we're seeing so much now? Yeah. Well, there's a lot of counters. I mean, you know, I'd say it kind of just depends on the situation. Um, you know, if, if it's a high pick and roll, you know, if you're switching a, a point guard onto a center, then I think a lot of the, the ways to take advantage is, you know, just either pull the ball out is what Bud loves to do in Milwaukee and, and just have the guard go one-on-one and attack the big speed. Or if you've got a big with a semblance of post game, obviously – you take it into the post and uh, try to draw help from there. But, you know, Golden State has, has had to, you know, figure out slips. Houston goes against a ton of switches and has to keep moving the ball around to really, you know, find the best matchup or find the guy they really want switched onto Harden that they can't guard him. So there's a lot a lot of nuance to that. And I think it's, all, you know, really matchup dependent. But I think the good thing for Toronto is – like I said, I think as much as anybody, they have a, you know, a number of bodies and a number of guys who who do defend and are, you know, capable of guarding one through four, one through five even. Um, so I think they're definitely one of the better, better position teams in the league, like Houston was last year, to uh, to play that type of scheme and succeed with it. Something they have pretty similar to Houston is I believe Toronto has two of the best kind of post up point guards in the NBA and Kyle Lowry and Fred Van Vliet, who looking at their size immediately you would think are a huge liability on switches, but have been so solid in the post that there helps helps them out some. They can't be posted up as easily. That's something you see a lot with Chris Paul. Do you think that teams are going to try to attack that in a different way rather than just a straight post up if they put a big on them? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's a great point. Um, I, I think that's definitely you know, especially for, for Lowry, I think he does have a ton of the, the Paul's like tendencies of, of just battling those guys. And, and that's exactly right that you saw Paul like switched on to KD or Draymond. And whenever those guys tried to post him, he, he really, you know, just holds his own by, by staying so low and just resisting with his arm bar. And, um, you know, I think, I think Lowry does that maybe a little better than Fred in my, my opinion, but, but he, I'm sure can do it too. Um, but yeah, you know, I think those guys, like you said, are great at that. So I think you'll probably have to see teams instead of post ups, maybe try and, you know, just to keep the ball moving, try to get them eventually to mess up a switch or get a slip or something like that. Um, one of the things actually that I suggested to, to Toronto last year in the playoffs against Washington, uh, which is fortunate for. For me to be able to help out with that matchup was, uh, you know, for Lowry to stay in a top lock, you know, whenever he got switched onto, onto Brad uh, Beal. You know, everybody seemed to assume that, oh, you know, Brad's got so much more size on him, so Kyle can have trouble guarding him. But we just, you know, we helped tell Kyle that any single time uh, Brad wanted to come off court hot on a down screen, he had to stay on the top side of him and make him go the other way. And Kyle did an amazing job just being really physical with him and making him come out the other side no matter what. You know, that, that top lock I think was a huge key to that series and, and really 
you know, took a lot of Brad's rhythm out of it. So I, I think for sure his, his tenacity and his toughness defensively is, is a huge strength. And, uh, I think that's, that's going to be, you know, if Toronto's healthy, a huge part of why they're going to be right there till the end because they just have, you know, a bunch of really good competitors defensively. In terms of, you know, the top Eastern Conference opponents, Milwaukee, Philadelphia, Boston, and if you want to throw Indiana in there, is there someone that you look at and you think that's a good matchup for Toronto? And is there someone that you look up that you think that's a more difficult matchup? Um, you know, I, I think, uh, I think Milwaukee is a difficult matchup for anybody, but I, I think Toronto is built pretty favorably to guard to guard them. You know, I, I think uh, I think you're seeing Milwaukee obviously have a tremendous offensive system, and and they do. But I also think you know, come playoff time, uh, they're not running many plays. You know, they they pretty much play five out. They eventually you know get Giannis the ball in the post against a mismatch or get him. In transition, you know, with space, and he attacks, and they swing the ball around and get a whole bunch of threes. I think, like you said, with, with Toronto being able to switch things and, and not, you know, not have to go help on Giannis post up, I think that's a pretty good matchup uh, for them. You know, I, I think Indy is a well balanced team, but but no aspect of them really really scares me over the top in, in Toronto's sense. Um, you know, Philly, like I said, I, I think indeed obviously is, is a matchup problem and will kind of mess up any a lot of switching schemes I, I think if you try to put really small guys on him he'll just punish you down low and then you know Simmons is a load too but you guys do have OG and you know uh Siakam and guys like that who can handle him I I would think um so yeah I mean I, I think you definitely have really balanced capable defenders and, and Kawhi obviously you can always throw on pretty much anybody and, and having guys that are Great two-way players like that I, I think match up favorably with uh, with most teams. When the, I think, at least from my perspective, the toughest matchup for Toronto is the Boston Celtics. Just a lot of things they do on the perimeter, I think, can give trouble to the Raptors. Uh, one of the biggest is Al Horford. Horford pretty much has destroyed JV in any of their minutes together, and it's limited. JV's minutes to essentially matching up with Aaron Baines and obviously I think you're losing a lot of what makes the Raptors good offensively if you can't play JV. Is there any way Toronto can counter kind of the pick and pop of Al Horford to keep JV on the... Yeah, that's a great question. Um, you know, off the top of my head, I would certainly try to avoid that matchup as much as possible, but if he does, you know, have to be in the rotation against him, I, I think you know, you can look at doing things like instead of instead of just switching, you know, if that gives you trouble uh, having a small guarding guarding uh, Al, you could always kind of play in a drop and, and uh, what teams call it is like a two for two, and so um, JV basically would be stopping the ball, and then as soon as whoever's guarding the ball kind of gets caught up on the screen and sees the back of his man's jersey. He would peel off and guard Al, and uh, you know I, I think Al, if he catches the ball up top against a mismatch, I, I think he can still obviously do some damage and and you know hurt the guards even from up there. But I think, like you said, you know if, if Lowry, for example, happens to get switched off onto Al at at the uh, top of the key, I feel better about him being switched out there as opposed to being down on the low block. So. 
you know, there's there's some counters and minor adjustments you can do, you know, depending on if it's the high pick and roll that Al's hurting them or, you know, I'm assuming that's that's the problem with JV being able to get back to him and, and guard him up high, you know, on the pops and things of that nature. But, yeah, I mean, I, I think there's some counters for sure that the nurse will think about come playoff time. It's been, during their last matchup, I believe JV and Horford only shared the floor for less than a minute with each other, and I just think that's a huge win for the Celtics if you're able to reduce JV to the same role as Aaron Baines, don't you think? Oh, yeah. No, I, I think they they should definitely try to get him, you know, the more minutes, but uh, maybe you can find, steal some minutes where you can guard a Daniel Tice or, you know, somebody else, one of the other kind of fours that uh, Morris, maybe you hide him on occasionally. I know that's not a great, great matchup either, but... Uh, you know, I could definitely see how guarding the, the high pick and roll with Val is a, is a beast kind of for a slower-footed big like that. Lastly, is there anything that you're watching Toronto right now and you think this is something that they need to improve for the playoffs, either, you know, by trade, getting an additional player in there, or just schematically or anything like that? I, I think one thing that, that wouldn't uh, wouldn't hurt to have is, is a, you know, Actually, to be honest, a CJ Miles type. I know, uh, I know that's been a rough subject this year, but, uh, yeah, it's been disappointing to see him, you know, struggle with things and then obviously not make shots when he's been healthy. But, uh, I do think a lot of their Nick Nurse's best stuff is to, you know, run shooters off screens and get them off, off movement and staggers and so on. And, and he was running some really good stuff for CJ. I think he just wasn't you know, making many shots. So, you know, same way Utah got traded for a Corver, you know, if any Joe Harris or, or one of those type shooters happen to come available, I, I think that, that could be a, a big asset for, for Toronto to have, you know, because as good as OG and, and Siakam and Powell and those guys, you know, they play defense and they do a lot of really good things, but, uh, you know, you're not really nervous about any of them coming off screens and, and shooting. And, and Kawhi, even to some extent, is is good at that, but he's not, you know, an elite guy who's like a Bradley Beal who's going to come off uh, down screens and shoot a ton of threes. I think that's that's something kind of specific, you know, in the playoffs that you want to have at least somebody who has that skill set. And, uh, you know, I think maybe looking for a guy like that on the market could be a good idea for Toronto. Yeah, I think there's a big difference between being a respectable enough shooter that you have to be guarded from outside and being a feared shooter where teams are actually game-planning actively to take away your three-point shot. Sure, you know, and I think what people sometimes miss also is it's, you know, it's not just about... I think sometimes people just look at the percentages, you know, and, and see, oh, this guy's shooting 30, some five from three, he's okay, whatever. But there's a big difference, you know, between that and you know, a guy that you're able to run plays for, like, uh, you know, like I said, Joe Harris, Bogdanovich, um, you know, McCollum off the ball in Portland, uh, Corver, Reddick, any of those guys, like, they, they run off screens all day and they shoot off screens. Those are, like, specialists, you know, and that's that's what CJ is also, you know, when he's making shots and healthy, but uh, if he's not able to do that, you know, OG, Siakam, those guys, you know, they can make their threes, from certain spots, but uh, those, you know, none of them are really guys that you're gonna run off screens. And so I think some of the times, at least in the games when I was watching, you know, Toronto struggling to get a bucket, I, I think that's a uh, the kind of shot creation that 
that they do lack is somebody that can run off that stuff and, and create some offense that way. Absolutely. You're 34% for Pascal Siakam. It's not the same as 34% for a consistent shooter who's shooting you know, difficult three-point attempts that are wide open left in the corner. I guess I'll just end with, is there anything that you're watching either for Toronto or just in the NBA in general over the next 42 games? Yeah, I mean, I, I think uh, just uh, a lot of focus on how teams adapt to, you know, just the widespread small ball, you know. I, I think uh, to an extent teams, you know, got really high on the switching, but then at the beginning of the season, you know, Houston was getting burned with all the switching. The Wizards were switching way too much and, you know, were kind of uh, mocked in a lot of ways for – for how that scheme was failing them, you know, I, I think um, I, I think it'll be about just which teams are going to get back to fundamentals, and if, if you can switch, you do it, and if you can do it well, you do it well. But if it's not the right scheme for you, then at the end of the day, you know, basketball is still about uh, playing in a scheme, communicating, uh, playing in the right spots, all those things. Um, and so I think you're seeing you're seeing now, you know, Denver is one of the best. Uh, coach defensive teams in the league. You know, Oklahoma City is doing a really good job on that end. The Clippers, you know, I, I think a lot of why you're seeing teams at the top of their conferences, like Toronto, like Indy, you know, is because is of their willingness to defend. So I'm, I'm really just interested in seeing which teams are able to keep that identity and, you know, keep staying up there with, with offense and defense you know, in the top 10 and which teams kind of fall off and, uh, slack on that end or or even the offensive end for that matter thank you so much for joining me i thought this was really insightful thanks for having me had a lot of fun everybody in your crew identifies as either big mac burger mcnuggets or mccrispy sandwich but you're the filet fish sandwich all day that crispy fish that savory tartar sauce that melty cheese that pillowy bun yeah you get it every time and if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.